Episode number 336, Have Mercy, with Michael Boggs. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Hey guys, this week's episode of our podcast is brought to you by Soundstripe. They are hands down the most affordable place to go for stock music tracks for your church. They also offer great stock footage and sound effects. They are our go-to source for music for our ready-made and custom media projects. Great people over there. I had Nick McElveen from Soundstripe on the podcast a few weeks ago, so be sure to check that out in the archives at makingsundayhappen.com if you missed that episode. Soundstripe is a great company, uh, and they're really striving uh, hard to provide great resources and an affordable price for ministry folks as well. So soundstripe.com is your place to go for that. Uh, If you would like to sponsor an episode of the podcast, if you are listening and you are at a ministry or organization, uh, or you're putting on an event at your church or something like that, and you want to let people know about it, uh, or advertise in some way on the podcast, you can check us out at 1230.media slash sponsor. So 1230.media slash sponsor. Be sure to check that out. Uh, and check out our uh, website, too, for all the archive episodes of our show. Uh, it's all at makingsundayhappen.com if you want to check that out. Well, on today's episode, I welcome worship leader Michael Boggs. Michael was a member of the band FFH back in the day, if you remember that. Uh, the great songs like One of These Days and uh, the album Far From Home. Uh, uh, and great, great music. They were uh, really solid. Uh, I got to interview them a couple of times when I was in radio, and they were one of the just really solid artists uh, in Christian music. All three of them. Jeremy uh, Dibler was the the lead singer of that band, and and uh, Michael uh, worked with them in that band. Uh, and and uh, they had to leave Christian music because Jeremy got sick and could not tour. Uh, and so uh, Michael uh, went on to. Uh, to Nashville and has been the worship leader for Kairos, which is a college uh, experience in Nashville. I think it's Tuesday night. Uh, Tuesday nights, you'll hear a little bit more uh, in the interview in a couple of minutes uh, about uh, Kairos and what Michael does there and the experiences that he's had uh, there. But he is a songwriter whose songs have been sung by great Christian artists uh, over the years. He's a great guy. You're going to love hearing from him. All right. So Michael Boggs is coming up right after this. That's going to leave a mark. Filmmaking is hard, but finding the perfect song doesn't have to be. You'll get them next time, Slugger. Not only does Soundstripe offer incredible music from Grammy-winning artists, but go get them, Tiger. They also offer stems for every song, too, so you can fully customize your scene just the way you like it. Soundstripe, a home run every time. Kid, you don't have to run. And why are you mad? This is just a commercial. 
Hey guys, today I welcome Michael Boggs. You might know him from the band FFH back in the day. He's currently a worship leader in Nashville at Kairos, which is a uh, college uh, uh, gathering. Uh, Michael, welcome, man. Thanks so much for hanging out. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Now, I will tell you, I, I, did, uh, I did radio back in the day. So I used to manage a, a Christian radio station uh, and play a lot of music. So I got a bet going on how many FFH song titles I can work in to this interview. So just, <laughs> I will win the bet. You know, I knew I'd talk to you one of these days. So there's one. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. I uh, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know whoever can work in big fish. I think if you can work that in, we'll win. I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, I'm so glad that you uh, took the time today to hang out, man. I'm, I'm excited about hanging out with you. And uh, tell me a little bit about your, your background. Your, your dad was in country music for a while, right? Yeah, both my parents were in country music and wrote songs and sang songs. They were in a band called the American Strings. And uh, I actually didn't know much about their band until one Christmas several years ago. My grandpa breaks out a, a scrapbook album of these little square pictures where most of the color had faded to like <laughs> red and yellow. And it's my dad and mom with people like Tammy Wynette and George Jones and Buck Owens and all these people. And all of a sudden, oh. these stories start coming out that I'd never really heard of uh, too much. And but I just realized that, you know, they had recorded music and um, had, you know, really sort of pursued the country music thing. My mom was offered a record deal in Nashville at 16, which she wasn't allowed to take because she uh, couldn't drop out of school, according to my grandpa. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but there, there's a long history of music and I never really knew that side of them. Um, but, um, you know, mom and dad always played and sang in church. And so music came naturally for our family. Lots of moments. I remember growing up where we'd sit in the living room and the whole family would kind of gather around and sing and play. And um, it was such a, it's such an easy thing for our family to, uh, to just do as part of, I think part of, uh, it was in our bones, so to speak. Yeah. So was that, was that weird, uh, you know, kind of growing up and then knowing the names in country music and realizing, wait a second, whoa, you knew them and had interaction with them. Was that weird? Yeah, it was. And I remember, I remember asking like, why, why didn't you really ever talk about this? You know I mean? My, my grandfather, uh, owned a, um, like a, kind of a performance hall in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Kane's Ballroom. It's, it's sort of renowned across the U.S. And it was a hot spot for, for people still even today to go play. Mm. Um, but they opened up, the band that they were a part of opened up for every artist that came through Tulsa. And so, I mean, it's wow. just named Johnny Cash and just, you know, but my parents never really talked about it very much. Yeah. And so um, it was a little bit weird, especially when, you know, I start hearing these stories. When Once I moved to Nashville, it's really once I started hearing those stories, but yeah. you know, it, it, it goes to show you that my parents, they were super talented, super gifted, but once I think they started following the Lord and, and really, you know, gave their lives to Jesus, I think that's the side of their life that, um, but they just sort of forgot about and didn't pursue anymore and mm. started pursuing, you know, the church world. So when I said, I want to go into music in Christian music, they were like, are you sure you want to do that? You know, like, <laughs> I'm glad it's Christian music, but are you sure we've been down this road before? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that, but they ended up supporting it. So, so what was your journey? What led you to the music scene? 
Yeah, so I was always an athlete in, in uh, high school. I had scholarships to go play football and baseball in college. Um, August came around, and um, it was just before my freshman year. I think I was supposed to report to school at a, a place that I'd signed to play football at. And it was like two weeks before then, and I just felt like the Lord was calling me into the ministry. And, um, and so I didn't really even have a framework for what that was. I, I, I was really going to school to be a pastor, I thought. So I, I told all my coaches, hey, I'm going to forgo this scholarship. And, and, uh, and I went to this small Bible college in the middle of Moore, Oklahoma, that very few people had ever heard of. Didn't have a football team, and the baseball team was 11 and 60 um, the year that I came in. And so uh, really like the college version of the Bad News Bears. It was, <laughs> it was not good. Um, but that's honestly where I really discovered, I really discovered music. And, and, um, so again, I'm going to school to be a pastor, but I'm also leading the chapel band and the worship team there. And, uh, and then I got this opportunity. Um, one, one day I was at a, uh, a Christian camp recruiting kids to go to the college that I was going to. Mm-hmm. I was also leading worship and a band named FFH came through and they just said, Hey, we want you to pray about how God's going to use you in our ministry. That was literally all they said. Wow. Um, and then their guitar player's guitar broke and <laughs> he asked if he could borrow mine. And I said, Hey, absolutely. On the account that you would let me like play with you afterwards, like let's play mm-hmm. something together afterwards. And so that happened and, and that did. And, and so, um, Long story short, um, the guy, Jeremy at FFH called about a week later and said, hey, we want to fly you up to Nashville and, and see if you want to be a part of this thing called FFH. Now, at that time, um, you know, there were, weren't really any radio singles out. And, and although FFH was having some, you know, some um, uh, viability out there playing in different places, but yeah. um, the first record was just about to come out. And so I did what, what uh, makes every every parent happy. I dropped out of college and joined a band and <laughs> packed everything I had into a blue Grand Am, Pontiac Grand Am, and, and nice. still had room. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of space. Uh, so, of space. so, uh, so in the, so obviously, uh, Jeremy and, and Jennifer were part of the, the band. Who was the other, was there somebody? His name's Brian. Okay. Brian, he played bass and also sang. Okay, and it did because it became the three of you guys, right? Did Brian leave at some point, or what, how did that shake no, down? No, it was it was all always the four of us. The four kind of, of the, okay. I think the uh, I, I replaced a guy named Steve um, okay. who okay. wanted to be a, a, a youth pastor at, in his home church, and so the four of us sort of we we rode through those uh, those early two thousand years. I think yeah. we, I think we stopped traveling in oh seven or oh eight, something like that. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So tell me some of that experience. That was probably what, seven, 10 years of your life somewhere in there. Uh, yeah. Tell me some things that God taught you through the FFH experience. Yeah, it was a, it was an amazing experience. I mean, the first thing that, that I, I think comes to mind when I think about what I, what I remember about FFH and what I love about FFH really had little to do with the music, it was my introduction really into ministry. As I mentioned earlier, I mm-hmm. thought I was going to school to be a pastor um, because that's when I, when you got called into ministry, that's the only job I knew of 
Uh, I didn't know there there were worship leaders or worship pastors, that kind of thing. And so, um, but one thing that FFH used to do at every concert was give an invitation. We would get information from people and we would disperse that information to area churches to follow up. And so there was always this evangelistic effort that was a part of what we did musically. Um, And honestly, it was probably, I mean, just recalling conversations in the bus and those kind of things. It was, that was the highlight, I think of what, of what we were part of. So, you know, looking back on that time, it's like, man, that was my introduction in ministry. And it was a really fun mm-hmm. way to do it. You know, we were in a lot, most times we we're in a diff- different city every day. I got to travel to all 50 states and go outside of the U.S. and 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 see a lot of different churches, a lot of a lot of ways that different churches operate. And, you know, we, we weren't just in Baptist churches or, you know, we just across the board. And yeah. that was really, that was really fun. I remember praying a prayer when I was in college, my freshman year, and it was, Lord, I want to worship with people from all different walks of life, all different denominations. Um, and, uh, and I got that the, the Lord was, was generous enough and kind enough to answer that prayer for me. So, uh, when I look back on that time, ministry was just my favorite part of it. Yeah. Did you get, you guys wrote all the, all the songs and, and produced them or did y'all have, did you get a lot of songwriting experience there too? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we wrote the songs. Jeremy was, uh, one, uh, just a fan. He's a fantastic writer. And yeah. so, um, songs like one of these days, um, that you, uh, subtly mentioned earlier, yeah, right, right. um, was, was one that he wrote big fish, another one that he wrote. Right. So he was just a great writer. I got to learn from him on how to write songs. Uh, he always had this, how uh, much older. Oh, <laughs> he always had this tail that was like a higher pit, like, like that kind of, uh, I don't know what that <laughs> You could always tell it was it was him. Yeah, Sorry, he, he has a he has a unique voice and a unique way of writing that so really talented man. Yeah, it made him stand out from from the rest. And so, you know, we we wrote a lot. Scott Williamson was a guy who produced the majority of our records. Uh, who is you know probably one of the most talented individuals I've I've ever met. So yeah. um, it was fun. But I really learned how to write. So I mean, I was nineteen when I moved to Nashville and signed a record deal and you know all of a sudden you're you're playing in front of a lot more people than was in chapel um you know six months earlier right and uh and so i kind of got thrown into the deep end but um was just fortunate enough to have a lot of people around me that taught me i mean pretty quickly um you know i mean i didn't know how to read a a music chart so i get to Mm -hmm. nashville something called the nashville number system where you know you write instead of writing chord charts numbers are associated with every chord and and I'm looking, I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Um, but I had to learn it pretty quickly. And, uh, and like I said, I was fortunate enough that people were kind enough to be patient with me to learn that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we, uh, we serve a lot of worship leaders in, in, uh, through our ministry and a lot of them have, you know, aspirations of maybe going on and doing r- r- records and, and things like that. What would you say from, from kind of being the reverse of of that and then going into worship leading what are some of the maybe the pitfalls the struggles what how would you encourage other worship leaders uh in in that regard yeah first thing i would say is just um you know who you are in private what you do in private um that's that's what gets uh you know I i think what allows something special to happen in public and so one of the things that i encourage worship leaders to do is like man you You've got anybody who's really writing music or creating music. Like I think, I think the best songs always come from your heart. 
And in Christian music, the one thing that differentiates it from every other form of music is the lyric. It's what we sing about, what we write about. Um, so protecting your, protecting your heart um, and making sure that you're feeding your heart and your mind um, the right kind of things, uh, the right kind of information. You know, I think studying the word and continue to have some sort of, you know, like this engagement in prayer, serving somewhere on a consistent basis. I feel like those are all guardrails um, that really help keep the main thing, the main thing, you know, the, the, the business side of Christian music. Somebody told me this early on, I thought it was really helpful. And they said that there is, there is no, no, no such thing as a Christian music business. There's a music business that caters to Christians. And so, you know, at the, at the end of the day, there are, there are still bottom lines that those companies have to hit. And there's amount of sales that you have to have, and you can really get, um, easily overwhelmed by some of those things or, or even driven by some of those things. But the right. heart of it is, I think, keeping your heart pure and continuing to seek after the Lord and let that feed the art that comes out of you rather than being motivated by number one songs or awards. And, and I think a lot of people, man, they're, they're, they're so innocent when they start out. Um, they just need somebody to walk alongside them and remind them that from time to time. And I needed that too. Right. Um, and so somebody who's going into that, I would just say, man, protect your heart at all costs. And it's really about your relationship. I don't think you're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to ask you how many number one songs you wrote. Right. I just don't think that's going to be the goal. Um, so keeping ministry, the main thing is, is probably the most helpful. So how did you transition from FFH to your next venture? And then where did Kairos come into the mix? Yeah. So when we, uh, when we, Jeremy got sick. The guy in our band yeah. um, was diagnosed with MS and we knew things were going to be changing. He mean, he needed some experimental chemotherapy. And so um, I had, I had been married eight months when our band got together and made the decision that we were going to call it quits for a little while. Um, and, uh, and so I remember thinking, what am I going to do? Like the only thing I've ever done is mow lawns and skirt mobile homes. <laughs> and I wasn't really good at either of those things, but outside of ministry and, and, and music, I had really, I had really not done anything else. I remember sitting down with my wife and saying, I guess I could start a landscaping business. You know, I think that might be something that I could do. And, and, you know, I'm so thankful for her because she believed, I think she believed in me more than I believed in myself at that point. She said, there's nothing wrong with landscaping. And I think you end up being good at it, but I think you're gifted musically. And uh, I think we can make this work to allow you some time to really pursue that. And so um, the first month, I believe it was 2007, um, it was October, 2007. That's when FFH, I think kind of took a hiatus for a bit. And I had 10 opportunities that month to go and sing and lead worship and play outside of FFH. And, and that was one of the ways that I remember God providing for our family during that time. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, honestly, I feel like there's been a version of that in every season of my life where I continue to, to, to have opportunities to lead worship. And I, I think that part of that for me was discovering, I didn't know to call it a worship leader. I didn't necessarily have that framework, but I loved helping people sing. And I had a, I had a, a knack to be able to do that as part of my gift. And, um, and if I could help people sing, I remember hearing a sermon from Tim Keller. And one of the things he said was that um, the second most commanded spiritual discipline in all the scripture is to sing. The first is to pray. The second is to sing. And so God thinks an awful lot about his people singing. If you can help people sing, um, that is a really worthwhile, um, a really worthwhile pursuit. And so once I discovered that, that, 
I, I had a knack for that. I just happened to be a part of a college Bible study called Kairos in Nashville, Tennessee. There was about 200 people coming to that Bible study at the time, and they needed a worship leader one night. And somehow I wiggled my way in, and uh, they've not been able to get rid of me since. But, um, you know, I, I think, again, I was fortunate enough. They were uh, allowed me to learn all the things um, that you have to learn being a worship pastor, so many things behind the scene. But I just loved, I just loved hearing people sing and, and helping people sing. And singing Kairos began to grow and um, more and more, you know, talented worship leaders and musicians started to come to Kairos. And all of a sudden I kind of found myself in the middle of, of this ministry as a worship pastor that I didn't even, again, know to call it that. Um, but um, God had just been kind to me and uh, surrounded me with people that were a lot better than me and let, let me learn from them. How is it connected to Brentwood? It's a ministry of Brentwood Baptist? Yeah, um, it it is a ministry of Brentwood Baptist. So Brentwood Baptist, several years ago, they had an analyst come into the church. And the bottom line was, it was like, man, there's a lot of areas where Brentwood's really strong. But this age group of like 18 to 24, um, at least in this particular study, was virtually missing from the church. Nobody in that age range or very few people in that age range were coming um, to Brentwood. And so the elders and the trustees at that time said, we've got to do something about this. We got to put some sort of concerted effort toward doing our best to speak to this demographic. And so, um, you know, you get a few lay leaders at, at people that had other jobs that had nine to fives, five, six days a week are now at the church at night trying to help give this thing some uh, legs and, and help it come to fruition. That was the beginnings of Kairos. Kairos was 30 people in the classroom when it first started. And, you know, fast forward to 2008, 2009, 2010. I mean, it was like a thousand people right. in an auditorium that were mostly, it was the age range increased a little bit to like 18 to 30, but that's ended up what it, what it, what it was. And it's credit to our church um, at Brentwood Baptist who, who not only saw the problem, but was willing to fund the solution. I mean, it, you know, yeah. um, as you know, ministry is not, it's not often cheap. And when you're trying to reach a completely dim- different demographic, um, you know, you spend money on things sometimes that um, that you're not sure if you're ever going to see a return on. Yeah. But our church did that, and uh, and it's proven to be, I think, one of the one of the favorite things about Brentwood Baptist is uh, this little Bible study called Kairos. Is it different with the age group? Like, do you prepare songs or prepare your set any different because you're ministering to college students? Absolutely. Um, so this is my 16th year at Kairos. Um, and I would say about every three or four years, uh, young adults are a little bit different. They're, they change a little bit in terms yeah. of what they want. I mean, you know, going from Gen X to Gen Y, Gen Z, you start thinking about millennials. And I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole different way that I communicate now than I did in the beginning. Um, but, but specifically this age range, um, the, one of the reasons we call it Kairos is Kairos or Kairos is Greek for a unique moment in time. So it's like the, the, the time that a fruit turns right or the right time to tell the punchline of a joke. And, and most of the people that come are in that season. They're in this season of first. It's my first time away from home and I'm in college. It's my first real job, my first real relationship. Um, you know, my first starting of a family, those, those kind of age range, there's so many um, there's so many different variations of it, but it's a lot of firsts. And people are really laying the tracks um, that the train of their life is going to run on. And so anytime you talk about identity, 
and mm. purpose and relationships. I mean, those are three things that are, I would say, have have um, that each generation has had in common those topics. Um, but how you communicate that is uh, is a little bit different. And also musically speaking, you know, I mean, we again, we have the freedom to, to do things sometimes you're not able to do and in uh, regular Sunday morning church, for instance, yeah. uh, I probably couldn't sing or lead enough new songs um, at Kairos. I mean, they know them before we start leading them because of Spotify and Apple music, they're listening to those playlists. And so a lot of times we'll sing a song for the first time and the congregation is singing it like, um, you know, like a hymn that's been around for a couple hundred years. And so, teach them. Um, yeah. And so that's to really, in fact, on the, on the other side, when we, when we do sing hymns and we do, we do sing hymns, um, I have to oftentimes treat those like new songs. We sing mm-hmm. Come Thou Fount one, one, uh, one Tuesday night. And I had a college student come up to me and said, is that a new Hillsong song? <laughs> and I was like, no, that's actually, that's actually a little, little older, a little older than that. <laughs> 1700s. But yeah. you know, that, that you almost, it's, it's a reverse <laughs> way of thinking of like this. Some, some of the language in hymns, um, is if you didn't grow up in church, you weren't familiar with that style of, of, of music or those songs, you, you have to sort of teach through them and, yeah. and, uh, tell people why we're still singing them. Well, I think the obviously the stats on the falling away once you get into college and then you kind of come back at adulthood into your your faith. I mean, the stats on that are, are real. So, I mean, you guys hitting that age group is is uh, is really making an impact. I think um, it, it, you've also had uh, the opportunity while you're leading worship there to write songs for other artists and and do kind of some solo projects too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's part of, you know, I think that's part of, um, you know, being in Nashville and, and uh, there's so many, again, songwriters and artists and musicians, you become friends with a lot of those people just naturally. A lot of those people came to Kairos. Um, and so, uh, you know, just over the years, I've made friends with some of those people and we, we all like to write songs. And so that'll happen. One of, one of my yeah. best friends, uh, you know, for a while is, uh, was Anthony Evans. He lived almost, yeah. I mean, basically down the road from me. Uh, and we've written a lot of songs together. Uh, Matt Marr wrote a song of his, uh, with him called turn around that, um, you know, it's just a, a, a really, it's fun to turn on the radio and hear something that you wrote. We wrote that while we were people watching, uh, in a writing session. And so, um, you know, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, it's really, it's really fun. It's still, it, it's never gotten old to me. The idea of sitting down in a room somewhere and, you write this song that ends up as a voice memo on your phone. Uh, and then the process of that going from like a voice memo to like, we're taking it into the studio, it's getting cut to like, wow, that finished version sounds really great to now it's on the radio or, you know, it's up for a dub award or, you know, different things like that. that are just, that has just never gotten old to me. I'm, I'm like a kid. I feel like I'm 19 again, you know, right. in some of those situations right. and, it's just something I would do. You know, they say that, um, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And yeah. um, songwriting for that is is definitely a, a, a labor of love, but I do love it. I think that's really neat because, I mean, you've been at this for, <clears throat> what, over 20 years now. Uh, and so I just, yeah, that process of, of it not getting old and, and still kind of new. I think, it, I think that's, yeah, taking joy in what the Lord has, has gifted you with. Um, I've heard you talk before about the kind of the, the life of a, of a worship leader. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, let's speak to that some. So how is important, how important is it for 
the lyrics that we sing match up with the life that we live obviously super important but kind of kind of walk through some of your encouragement there yeah that's a great question my at the time my nine-year-old niece taught me this i think probably in, in the best way she was uh my my sister and her two girls um uh, and my mom and my dad were all visiting in nashville for a week we're all in a van driving through downtown franklin and my at the time my nine-year-old niece starts going starts singing she's like if you're happy and you know clap your hands and so the whole van just you know and she finishes that if you're happy and you know it you know stomp your feet if you're happy she goes through the whole entire song and the van is rocking in downtown. I mean, we are, we're all singing, we're doing motions. We're trying to figure out how to turn around and seatbelts and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, it sounds sort of trite when I say this, but I think there's something deeper there. Like it frustrated me a little bit while she was doing that. Cause I realized she was doing effortlessly what um, worship leaders try to spend their whole life trying to help people do, which is to sing. And here she was nine year old, nine years old doing it effortlessly. And I just realized, I think the reason that she was able to is because she was happy and she knew it, <laughs> that the, the lyric that she was singing matched the life that she was living. And that was contagious and worth participating in. And so I think with worship leaders, oftentimes, um, you know, uh, we, we, especially if you have a job, if it's your full-time job, um, you just have so many responsibilities um, and, and sometimes it's easy to let some of the, the more simple things pass you by, or you sort of have a blind spot for it. And so to, mm -hmm. to help encourage our worship leaders who then encourages our congregations and our teams that, Hey, it matters that the lyric you sing matches the life that you're living, that when we sing, I surrender all, we're not singing, I surrender most, or I surrender some, mm -hmm. that's, that's sometimes our team jokes mm -hmm. around about, um, but we we're saying I surrender all. And so to, to have a life that reflects that, I think not only is the biblical standard, uh, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Um, but I also think it's inspirational um, to help congregations sing. I think one of the, one, my friend of mine said this, one of the most powerful evangels in all of Christianity is God's people in worship. And so if, if, if by me singing in the congregation, and I don't mean on stage, I mean, if me singing in the congregation helps the person beside me have the courage to sing along, um, and maybe that helps maybe some decisions they make or some, some options that they have at their table and it helps them follow the Lord, I, I think that's part of the gift of community and specifically the gift of obedience to the Lord, which is not always easy. I don't want right. to paint it like that, but, <laughs> but I do think that it, it does help you um, down the road. It helps you make the decisions I think the Lord wants you to make. Well, and I think in the congregation too, like we can, we can tell if it's genuine, like we can tell if it's the, the scripted thing mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, we can, you, your life, you know, is, is, is contagious if you're, if you're serving it. So let me ask it this way. You've been, uh, obviously doing this a long time. And, and two, uh, I think of things like the Mars Hill podcast. I'm not sure if you've listened to that, uh, lately, mm -hmm. things like that, where we've just, kind of the can of worms has been open of the, some of the dirty parts of ministry and things like that. What, what keeps you in? Like what, what keeps you going? I, I've told people that if I didn't, and this is, I mean, I'm, my life is a massive work in progress, but you know, if I'm, if I didn't have a, a strong faith, if I didn't actually believe this stuff, sometimes in ministry, 
be like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to hang it up, but I actually do believe this stuff. So what, uh, what, what keeps you going? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think it, it specifically with, with Kairos, uh, there's a ver- there's an 18 year old version of me, um, that was sitting in a church or sitting in a conference of some Dawson McAllister, you know, back in the day, I went to that conference and there's an 18 year old version of me that's out there going, I think I believe this. Hmm. I think this is true. And so one of the things that keeps me going, I think is the other 18 year olds out there. Hmm. Um, the other young men and women who are at those forks in the road and, and they are, they are making decisions that will affect the rest of their life Mm -hmm. at that point. And I know nothing sweeter um, than the gift of Jesus Christ. I know nothing. It sounds, it can sound trite when you hear somebody say that, but I know nothing better to give my life to. Um, And as I'm sure you have, we all have opportunities to give our life to something else. Um, we could give it to, you know, a career and career advancement. You can give it to, you know, the pursuit of study and intellectualism and that sort of thing, academia, but I know nothing better than to give my life, uh, in in return for what Christ has done for me. And so music just happens to be a tool in my toolbox. Um, I, I, I think that, um, because I have that gift, I I've chosen to do music, but, um, if I didn't, if I didn't have a guitar or I've lost my voice, I would find some other way um, to serve the Lord. And I, I think that's, that's part of just, and it's just in you. I'm convinced, you know, yeah. I'm convinced that Jesus is the way. Yeah. Good. Uh, you've done a lot of songwriting and we, we have a lot of worship leaders that are, uh, you know, write their own songs for their own congregation and things like that. Do you have any encouragement or tips here? What's your song pro- uh, writing process look like? Yeah. Um, I'm always writing. Um, you know, my, my wife will tell you, um, that sometimes that's frustrating because we'll be in <laughs> conversation and my mind will start Hang to on. wander. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm, I'm always writing I, my, the, my notes app and my phone is full of ideas and my voice memos are full of, you know, half awake, 2 a.m., melodies, you know, singing. I don't even have the time. I don't know. I listen back and can't figure out what I was thinking. Right. Um, but I, you know, I'm always writing and I, I think again, some advice that was given to me early on that, um, that some days are inspiration. Most days are perspiration. Um, songwriting is, is a discipline and, um, you sort of do it when you feel like it and you do it when you don't feel like it. And, mm-hmm. um, for me, it's been about finding the inspiration, um, consistently, um, you know, feeding my mind with things that inspire me. For example, um, I think reading is really important specifically if you're, if you're writing lyrics and that's part of your, your gift um, to continue to feed your, your mind with new ideas and creative ideas. Um, and, and also just being consistent with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, there, there are times in my life, I don't necessarily do this right now, but there've been times in my life where I'd had two writing sessions five days a week. Um, so that'd be like a 10 and a two on a Monday, a 10 and a two on mm-hmm. Tuesday. And, uh, and it just, the habit of that taught me so much about songwriting and taught me so much about the grind. And for all the moments that you see this song that, you know, it, 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 it goes number one or everybody's singing it in church for all those moments, you have this myriad of other moments that mm-hmm. nobody will ever know about. 
and songs that no one will ever hear. And if you do it very often, you'll have notebooks full of lyric, you know, lyrics um, that no one will ever read. Um, But the idea is that I think that there's something here. I've got to communicate something. I'm not finished saying what I want to say yet. I want to try to say it in a new way, in a fresh way that I think it's good to embrace that. And um, in, in the age of, you know, sort of like this, this, we present ourselves best selves on social media. Yeah. It's really hard to say, man, songwriting is a grind. Um, but it is. Yeah. Um, and you just have to put in the work. Um, and, and there, again, there's so many people that are so gifted. I'm hanging out with college students all the time. They play me a song they've written and I'm like, that's amazing. Like yeah. you have a gift for this, like keep pursuing this. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm consistently amazed by, uh, how many people just, they have the gift of music. They just need the extra encouragement to continue pursuing it. Do you guys, uh, have you guys written a lot for Kairos, uh, specifically that you guys sing there that maybe hasn't been released? Yeah, we've, we've, we've written a good, uh, a good bit of songs. In fact, I'm actually a part of a, um, of a collective called wildfire. And some of the, uh, uh, worship leaders at Kairos, um, are a part of that as well. We've been writing a ton for that, probably new music coming out, um, uh, next year. So that, that'll nice. be exciting. So speaking of new, uh, music, you have a new project out. Your new single is have mercy, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, it, it was a song I, I've always sort of, you know, been like part worship leader, part singer songwriter as it relates to music. And, yeah. uh, I, I never know which one's coming out until you actually sit down and write, but this is sort of a song where I think both those worlds kind of came together, um, and was just really taken, taken aback by the times in scripture where I, I was reading where people were pleading God uh, to God to have mercy on David is a good example of that. Um, you know, you read in the gospels, um, the idea of one man is basically um, praising himself to God. And the other man is, uh, is asking God to have mercy on. He won't even turn his face to heaven. And that, that idea really struck me as, as just a, a really, a really important posture of our heart um, to be able to consistently ask God for mercy. And as a worship leader, I'm constantly listening to new songs and, and looking for new songs, but I haven't found a ton of corporate confession songs, hmm. songs where we say like, God, I, you know, I need, I need your mercy. There's some out there, but I, we just wasn't finding a ton of them. And so I just felt like, Hey, this fits a need for our congregation. Hmm. It fits a need for, um, for a lot of friends of mine, I think that are also worship leaders. And so, um, let's, let's try to write a song, um, that really just sort of rolls out the, uh, the carpet for people to come to God and ask for mercy, as opposed to try to earn his mercy or prove your worth, you know, more than the mercy that God gives you. And so my friend Josh Nichols and I sat down and wrote this song and, and, uh, it's really fun, really fun to hear it out in the world now. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much for your time. As as folks, uh, kind of last question for you is, you know, worship leaders uh, and, and tech guys and pastors and and uh, and others that that we that listen to this podcast and we serve the the name of this podcast is Making Sunday Happen. So it's the you know it's the grind of uh, how do we create and execute uh, worship experiences. Uh, so how would you encourage? Uh, those who are crafting worship experiences uh, to well, to be consistent, to to get rest, to what is your life like in that in that grind of of Kairos? 
Yeah, I, I think we, we, you know, at our, at our church, we, we have a couple of different, um, we call it a manifesto, but we, we have a couple of different statements of faith. And that really kind of helps us keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, the first one of those is we plan and pray with purpose. Um, and it sounds so simple, but um, I think it's so easy to get into the monotony and the routine of planning worship services and thinking about what's creative and thinking about how do we not do it like we did it last time. Um, that the main thing can get lost. And so just sitting down and, and saying, Lord, what, what do you want for your people this week? What, what do you want to communicate through your people? I think it's good to think about the songs that we sing. Um, one of my mentors reminds me often of a quote that just said, if God only knew, uh, or if, if our congregation only knew about God, what we sing about God, what would they know about him? Hmm. And so we're contributing to a much larger story. I think for a lot of worship leaders, seeing the big picture, um, looking at the entire year, thinking like a theological dietitian, as Zach Hicks says, what am I feeding my people? Also thinking like a liturgical architect, um, what, what sort of framework for God via songs are we building for our congregation? Um, I think it's important to think about those things. And then on the flip side, realize that you're, you're more than what you produce for the church. As a worship leader, you are more than your gifts. You're more than the hours that you put in that no one sees, um, that you are a son or a daughter of God. And if you bring something of value um, to the church, I think it's your intimacy with the Lord. I really do believe that outside of the way that he's gifted us, I think our greatest gift to other people is our own intimacy with the Lord. So making sure that you stay connected to him and that you're working with him and not for him. I think there's a, a subtle difference in in uh, in those two things. That's good. I uh, I've shared this story before, but I, I'll share it with you. The um, I interviewed a, a long time ago uh, Phil Phil Vischer, the VeggieTales guy. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and he told me, cause I was asking him, okay, give me the story of how the, you know, his company kind of, they went bankrupt and he had to give a, give up a lot of his company and just a, a very big downturn. And then he kind of came back up, but, uh, but just a, a big, huge blow. Uh, and I asked him about that and that's exactly what he said. He said, my ministry for God came above my, uh, my relationship with God. Uh, and so, and I think that we can struggle with that a lot that we, uh, especially guys, maybe is we're, you know, we're hard workers and, uh, and we even can love what we do. Uh, but, but to put that over our relationship and what God wants for us, um, can, can be a detriment if we're not careful. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think, I think like you said, especially coming out of the season of COVID where we're all trying to reinvent the wheel and, um, at least for several months, some of us still in that cycle. Um, I just talked to so many worship leaders that are exhausted, right? Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just so tired and not the kind of tired that a nap will fix. It's like mentally and emotionally tired. And so, uh, you know, realizing that, that um, you need rest just like everybody else. And and the Sabbath applies to church staff as much as it applies to the rest of the world. So That's right. That's we have right. to figure out a rhythm, uh, rhythms of work and rest. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much for, for the time today. Really appreciate it. Blessings on your, on your ministry and, and Kairos uh, uh, and all that you're, that you're working on, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey guys, Grant here from the 1230 media team. Did you know that we produce and release dozens of new ready-made worship media products every single month? Well, our team is hard at work producing mini movies, countdowns, service packs and collections, full series boxes, motion backgrounds for lyrics and sermon notes, 
lyric media, social media content, and so much more. Thousands of ready-made products are right at your fingertips, ready for you to download and use this Sunday. You can purchase media a la carte or choose a subscription and save. Just go to 1230.media and click the ready-made media tab to start browsing our library. That's 1230.media, then use the ready-made dropdown to get started. The show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com. Well, thanks so much for hanging out this week. I want to thank the team behind uh, our podcast, AJ Schubert, Daniel Stevanis, Steve Dirks, our great team at 1230 Media. They work very, very hard to produce this podcast, distribute this podcast, uh, put it on social media, all that kind of, uh, of stuff. So uh, just a great team uh, that we work with at 1230. So I want to really acknowledge them, AJ Schubert, Daniel Stevanis, uh, Steve Dirks, and the rest of the team uh, at, at 1230 Media. Uh, we just we have such an incredible team, uh, and I'm so thankful for them. Uh, I'm really excited about next week's uh, show. So I attended a conference at Windshape Campus. Uh, this is the Windshape Foundation from Chick-fil-A. I was invited by some great friends to join the Fatherhood Commission uh, to talk about fatherhood and small business. And I met a, a new friend there. This was a few months ago. Uh, his name was David Murrow, and David is the author of books like Why Men Hate Going to Church and his new book Drowning in Screen Time, uh, among others. He has a long career in television and media as a producer and many other roles. And David and I uh, dove into how to transform your online preaching. So if you are a pastor listening, uh, this is a great episode next week to know how to get attention online, how to preach effectively to the masses. Now, you you know me uh, well enough to know that I am a both-and kind of guy. I am uh, very much in favor of the in-person gathering, but I'm also in favor of making our online experience great. We don't want that to be just a security camera in the back of the room situation. We want to make that great, too, because there will be shut-ins. There will be people who cannot attend. Uh, they're on vacation or some legitimate reason why they can't make it to church. And so we do want to offer an incredible uh, online experience. But how do we do that? Uh, and how do we do that effectively? Uh, and how do you preach effectively online? Because some of the things that you might do in the room might not translate to online, that sort of thing. So I cannot believe that we got David to come on. He is a great speaker and teacher and really brings his years of producer experience into the church world. Uh, I was very captivated by his speaking at this conference a few months ago. And I think you're really going to like what David has to say next week. David Murrow next week on the show. We'll go out there and create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com.